Well, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Truckers Podcast, FYI. I'm your host, Doug, from Ontario, Canada. This is the 3rd of September, Saturday, 2022, at 9.03 p.m. Thank you for joining me. Nursing sees record applications. Thank you for joining me. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for joining me this evening here on the Truckers Podcast, FYI. And like I said last night out here, I would be back out here at 9 p.m. So hopefully you can join me. You know, I touched base um, a little bit what's going on Um, in the healthcare system here in Ontario. And uh, it's not, you know, the crisis just isn't happening here in Ontario. It's all across Canada. Now, you know, with the health care in the spotlight, here in Ontario, nursing programs are seeing record applications. What does that mean for our health care now? It means nothing. What it means for our future, we can see change. Now, so, um, The Council of Ontario Universities says more than 13,000 people applied to a university nursing program in 2022. And that's up around 8% compared to 2021 and 25% compared to 2018 and 2019. And colleges received a record number of applications to nursing diploma programs this year. And according to the available data going back to 2013, colleges said more than 12,000 people applied to these programs in 2022, a 14% increase over 2021 and a 25% increase compared to 2018. Now, it takes, you know, this isn't just a one-year program or two-year program. You know, three years, probably minimum, to go through the nursing program, university, or college level. We have people who, you know, have immigrated to Canada who were nurses in their um, home countries 
they can't practice nursing here. They have to do basically schooling all over again to meet the, 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 the qualifications and standards here in Canada. And with and with the with the uh, healthcare crisis that we're facing today, none of these numbers are going to make a difference right now. These this is a few years down the road that these men and women who want to become nurses. but it's not going to fix our problem today. You know, I talked about the Ontario government with their bill seven, you know, just uh, running it through legislation in the province without any public input or any input from the people, the professionals in the healthcare system. Government wanting to fund other means, such as the private sector, which is not sitting well with a lot of people. Or that money could be channeled into our healthcare. They think by having patients who are long care, long-term care in the hospital, they think by moving them to nursing homes, and by the way, the nursing homes don't have any space either. That's six months to a year waiting list for people to go into a nursing home. These band-aid effects is just making matters worse. You know, you know, back at the beginning of this pandemic, they're talking about the spot, the spotlight on the valor of nursing. And more than two years later, educators are grappling with how to prepare students for current realities of the job. Clinical replacements can be hard to find, and reports of critical staffing shortages and record levels of burnout are abundant in the healthcare through our, our, our nursing profession. And while programs' interest rests are high, the programs rely on government funds to open up more spots. And the vacancy rate for the healthcare across the country are at an all-time all, all high. So, 
you know, the nursing association is saying that we're this province alone, the most populated province in, in, uh, of all Canada. You know, nearly half of the population of Canada lives in Ontario. We have a shortage of approximately 22,000 registered nurses. It's unbelievable. You know, people, you know, the young generation, you know, wanted to come into this profession. I mean, I think that's fantastic. I really do. Um, They believe that they're aware of what they're getting into. And even though they think that it's a difficult position, a difficult job, they ultimately think it's worth the cause and the outcome is, is worth all the stress at the end for them. Not for everybody, but you know, there's one particular person who is talking about that. My hat goes off to the nursing profession for sure, you know, because without them, we, you wouldn't be, you know, getting the care that you get, you know, in, in the fantastic job that they do working on the front lines the way they do and the appreciation they really don't receive. You know, throughout this pandemic, you know, um, through these protests, you know, when they start to protest in front of hospitals and harassing and and, and intimidating um, our doctors and our nurses, you know, that was just pathetic. And when I talked last night about, you know, for non-emergency waits at the emergency emergency department, emergency department, 20 hours. For non-emergencies, 20 hours. It's not the nurse's fault. It's not the doctor's fault. It's the government's fault. It's the government of the past governments, decades of healthcare cutbacks, funding to our hospitals. Now, not allowing the nurses to have a collective agreement. Nurses are not allowed to go on strike. Not only do we need more nurses, they need better pay. Instead of sending money to the private sector, this is where the money needs to be going. It needs to be going into the healthcare system, the public healthcare system, our hospitals, our nurses. This is where this money needs to be going. 
<clears throat> now, with this staffing shortage and the crisis at our hospitals, thank you for joining me. I'm your host, Doug, from Ontario, Canada. Now, you know, last night, um, if you weren't on my show, I was talking, uh, you know, talking uh, a little bit about uh, the healthcare um, crisis that not just here in Ontario, Canada, but all of what Canada is, is facing. Shortages of our nurses, long wait times for non-emergencies in our emergency departments at an average of a 20 hour wait for non-emergencies. Bed sort uh, shortages, nowhere for people uh, to really be moved to, like for people who need that, that, that extended care, that extra care that needs to go to nursing homes. Nursing homes are full. If this isn't, you know, when it comes to, um, you know, shortages of, of hospital beds and long wait times, you know, has nothing to do with the pandemic. And every time they talk about this, you know, oh, you know, a lot of people got sick throughout this pandemic. You know, a lot of people get sick through the flu season. But like I said, before I came over my show, decades and decades of cutbacks in our healthcare is, is the root of the problem. Now the Ontario government thinks by, you know, funding the private sector and be able to get care there and move patients um, from, from the hospital to nursing homes where there's no rooms available in nursing homes. Putting a Band-Aid on an open wound that needs stitches isn't working. And it's not going to work. Yes, we have an increase of applications for people who want to go into the nursing professions. Over 12,000 applications this year alone. But that isn't going to fix the immediate situation that we're in right now. That's years down the road. That's three years. Of, of, of taking that, that nursing program. From, from the stress that the nurses have been under these past, even these past couple of years with this pandemic and, 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 and you know, people off work sick, you know, 
is certainly causing problems, you know, with the staffing shortages. But before the pandemic, people, people, you know, here in Ontario would get hallway health care, meaning they would stay in the emergency department in the hallway because there was no beds. And this was long before the pandemic came along. You know, people around the world and the United States. Oh, Canada's got a great healthcare system. Well, I can honestly tell you, it's not as great as you think it is. It's great that we don't pay out of pocket because it's tax funded. It's every, you know, we pay taxes. This is how the public health care works. It's through tax dollars. You know, when, when the government turns around and, you know, um, passes a bill, generally, you know, they want the public's input and they'll want professional input, but not this time. The provincial government pushed this bill and passed it. without any public input or any professionals from the healthcare. So what happens with these patients who are in the hospital and they want to move move them into nursing homes? If your first choice does not become available, then they move to the second choice and that second choice means that, oh, we're going to move you because that space became available, but it's going to be a hundred miles away. Or we bill you for every day that you stay here. We need this bed. You have to go. And then the government does a little backpedaling. Oh, no, 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 no. We're, we're not going to charge people $1,800 a day because they're, you know, they didn't get their first choice. You know, it's, you know, everything, you know, lately has just blown up, you know, when it, when it comes to, um, People saying one thing and people saying the other and, 
you know, everything's coming at everybody at all different directions and the government's saying one thing and, 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 you know, it's just like, okay, you know what? We need to slam the brakes on this and we need to have clarity. So if a person then refuses their second choice, are they going to be billed? Not according to the premier now. And the health minister of Ontario uh, feels that, that we're not in a crisis. Well, if, if we're not in a crisis, why, why do you want to start funding the private sector for care? Why aren't we funneling all this money, more of this money into the healthcare system? Transfer payments from the federal government needs to be increased. That's not happening. Right now, the federal government, you know, funnels about, you know, 22% transfer payments to the provinces and territories for, for, for the health care. Leaders in, in, in the professional world here in Canada are saying, no, it's got to be at least 33%. They're still talking about it while we're in this crisis. Yeah, you're still going to get treatment if you go to the hospital. But like I said earlier, non-emergency waits are 20 hours. So if you have other uh, other alternatives, we, we have other alternatives, you can go to a walk-in clinic. You can call um, Telehealth Ontario and you can speak with a nurse. Tell the individual what's going on with you. They'll be able to direct you what you need to do. Doesn't matter what season it is. People are going to have an incident. Of some sort. Whether it's summer. Fall. Winter. Or spring. And probably more so in the springtime because over the wintertime we just become lazy and we hibernate. We don't want to do nothing. And as soon as the nice weather gets out there, we want to get back to that physical, physical activity. So you go out running or whatever like that. You step off the curb the wrong way and you roll your ankle. Where's the first place you head to? The emergency department. You know you didn't break it. You can still move it around, but it's sore as hell. You didn't break nothing. There's plenty of other alternatives out there to seek. 
anything medical that you think might be, you know, there's a non-emergency that you can go see a doctor. You don't always have to go to the emergency department. Leave that for the emergencies. You know, because people who come in by ambulance, they're going to be treated first, no matter what, starting with the most urgent matters. And then they work backwards. You know, when they get to you, they get to you. You know, people are, people who people are complaining because they went to the emergency with a non-emergency and they had to wait 20 plus hours to see a doctor. It's not like you just walk into the emergency department. Oh, you know what? I, I, I know my foot's not, my ankle's not broken. I rolled it, you know, it's, it, it's swollen up and uh, I want to see a doctor now. That's not how it works. It just isn't. The shortages, the, 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 the stress load that our nurses, you know, ha have taken on throughout this pandemic is, I couldn't even imagine. I just couldn't. You know, and like I said, you know, more and more people, I mean, 12,000 people have enrolled in the nursing program this year alone. But those are three-year programs. And we need nurses now and we can't get them. This quick fix Band-Aid isn't helping and it's not going to help us. So a lot of funding coming, uh, coming into uh, funding for the education, you know, uh, so it has created another uh, 870 additional registered nurses and more than a thousand practical nurses, you know, but the ministry did not respond to repeated requests to explain the funding allocations. It's just, I, I don't know, ladies and gentlemen, it just, you, you would think we'd see this coming. You know, and I guess, you know, this pandemic over, over the course of, of, of the two plus years, you know, just opened up a whole can of worms. And we can see it just for what it is. You know, the pandemic didn't, didn't cause all these shortages. Government caused it. And they continue to cause it. You 
And when you have a health minister saying, oh, I don't see this as a crisis. And even though they want to spend, take our tax dollars and give it to the private sector, you know, oh, no, 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 people won't, you know, you can still use your health card and, 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 and get health care and, and all these things. But that's just greasing the pockets of the private sector. more money into the private sector. I mean, are we going to have a two-tier healthcare system in this province and maybe all of Canada? I mean, there there has been private sectors for many, many years. But then when you start funding them with our tax dollars... And they get a see a bigger increase in volume, so they'll want more money. And the government going to give them more money? No, it's supposed to go the other way. Our tax do- dollars are supposed to fund our public health care. That's what our tax dollars are for. Our tax dollars are not for private citation. It's just not. You know, so, I, I mean, I, I, you know, these, these young people who want to um, go into the healthcare, become a nurse, you know, I think that's great. I, I really do. But these are our future nurses. And the federal government and the provincial governments, you know, need to, um, in my opinion, start using our, our, our tax dollars the way they're supposed to be using it. And listen to the people a lot more and not just push things and and pass a bill, you know, because the government feels, you know, if the health, if the health minister says, oh, this isn't urgent, then why did, why did the government push the bill so quickly? Why did it get, get, get passed so quickly? They didn't want to hear from the public. They didn't want to hear from the healthcare professionals. We're just going to push this bill through. It's done. And unfortunately, you know, with, with what they've done, it's going to come right back and just slap them right in the face. And then what are they going to say? Oh, we should have listened. We should have had that public inquiry. We 
They should have listened to the healthcare professionals. See, the healthcare professionals are, are the ones on the front lines, not the government. They see firsthand of what's going on. They are living this. They are going through the the the, the work the workforce shortages and the burnout. Government isn't. These are real people. These um, are real facts. And they're human beings. You know, it's like people don't, it's like people, oh, nurses can never get sick. Nurses can't get burnt out. Nurses can't get COVID. Nurses can't get the flu. I mean, who do they think these people are? They're human beings just like the rest of us. You know, it's just, um, we'll see, you know what, we're going to wait to see what, you know, as we, you know, as we transition into the fall season. And when it gets lousy weather out there into the winter, we move indoors and we are going to see an eighth wave of this virus. And then we're going to see how much more of a strain is going to put on our healthcare system. How much more pressure is going to put on our doctors and nurses. And with this Band-Aid quick fix, it's going to come right back on the government and they're the ones going to have to deal with it. And we're going to say, we told you so but you didn't listen. Now I talked a little bit uh, yesterday uh, or last night, um, you know, with this, um, this freedom convoy, this uh, that happened back in January and February here in Canada, in our nation's capital, Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. These, um, Defendants in the convoy lawsuit, they want $450,000 from donation funds to appear before the commission. See, this commission is is overseeing um, the um, use of the Federal Emergency Act. 
back in February. These funds were were through GoFundMe, Give, Send, Go, and uh, cryptocurrency, you know, all these donations that people poured in from all over the world, you know. Uh, so they want $450,000 to appear at this commission. I think there's got to be something like eight of them or something like that. These defendants, they are on the other hand of facing um, a $300 million class action lawsuit against them from businesses and citizens of Ottawa. Now, there is a fund um, that they can go through um, also to, um, to get monies um, to be able to go through um, to this commission, right? They, they have turned that down. So these organizers of that Karen Carnival, you know, this is just another way of getting their hands on this money that's in escrow that is frozen by the courts. to use, to go to this commission, to use for, because they're anti-government, right? For the use for their political gain or whatever the hell they want to use it for. Right? So they can go to this commission and, and be anti-government, you know, because people who are anti-government doesn't think the government can do what they're doing or do what they did, right? People, these people think that the government um, could not, you know, enforce um, or even mandate, you know, stay-at-home orders, close schools, shutter non-essential services and businesses, stay-at-home orders, prevent gatherings and all this sort of thing. They don't think that. They don't think the government can actually do that. In the freedoms and rights and charters here in Canada, it says right in the freedoms and charters and rights that your freedoms are not absolute. And there it justifies why. Pandemic. Your health and safety and your lives are in jeopardy because it could be a natural disaster. It could be war. It could be a lot of, a lot of different things that are going to endanger your health and safety. And I've said this from time and time again, that the government has a sworn duty to protect their citizens in a democracy. 
They have a sworn duty to do just that. So, you know, they're asking, so that $450,000, so they're asking that um, $83,000 in travel and accommodations cost to send them and other witnesses to Ottawa for 39 days of the hearings. Well, they have a standing to be there, meaning that they will testify. You don't need to be there for 39 days. You will be given a day to testify, and that's the day you will show up. And then after you testify, you go home. You don't need to sit there for 39 days to, hold, to go through and hear the whole, the whole inquiry. It's about the Federal Emergency Act. And what are they going to say? Oh, the government had no, had no right to enact it? The government cannot enact the Federal Emergency Act? Now, you know, so, you know, the... I didn't mention this last night, but the documents filed in court just yesterday uh, by the group uh, shows the escrow uh, includes $1,393,399 received through the GoFundMe and direct email transfers held in two accounts by one of the organizers at the time back in February, before this money was frozen by the government through the Federal Emergency Act. What a great way to make yourself a millionaire and use that money for your own political gain and to fund your far right radical bullshit. There was over 3 million donated through payments processed Stripe to the Freedom 22 Human Rights and Freedoms. There's 141,000 in RBC accounts, 10,000 held by the Freedom 22 Corporation. There's there. Uh, uh, so the court um, previously agreed to, re to release $100,000 of the funds from the escrow so the uh, defendants could pay for their legal cost defense in a civil action. You know, so, <laughs> I mean, these, 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 these organizers, like I said, they're facing a $300 million, $300 million class action lawsuit. the businesses that joined that class action lawsuit in Ottawa and citizens that joined that class action lawsuit against these organizers. Now, I also last night, um, 
talked a little bit about um, Canada's Emergency Act. Um, it was it was replaced by what then uh, back when uh, Justin Trudeau's father Pierre Trudeau was was Prime Minister of, of Canada. Uh, it was it was known as the the the, uh, the War Act, and it took its new name, Canada's Emergency Act. It took this new name and it became law in 1988. Government doesn't have my money. The only money they got, well, they have our tax dollars. It doesn't have my money. Government doesn't have the money. The courts have the money. None of these organizers from that Karen Carnival, Freedom Convoy, whatever the hell people want to call it, all that money they don't have. Now, when I talked about, you know, so the Federal Emergency Act, so, you know, basically, you know, Part of their the, the parliament the part of the argument these organizers are going to argue is that the government had no business had no right to enact it right there are four types of emergencies that can be declared under the emergency act a public welfare emergency a public order emergency, an international emergency, any war emergency. And why does the government have the money or the courts have the money? When the government enacted the Federal Emergency Act, it gave the government extra powers to order all of the bank accounts frozen of those organizers and all of that money they would not get it gave the government powers to have other police agencies work in other jurisdictions so federal could work in provincial and, and enforce the law. So when you have a public order emergency, which is why it was the, the Federal Emergency Act was enacted under a public order emergency. Right, so like I'm saying, so when that emergency act can be invoked to grant temporary, additional, and necessary powers to the federal government, when the provincial, territorial, federal tools were no longer su sufficient, they didn't have the manpower to break that that um, Karen Carnival, the occupation. The city of Ottawa didn't have the resources 
and they needed the resources. So by enacting the Federal Emergency Act, the federal government can use additional measures to break up that occupation. It can prevent, not only that, it, it can, can prevent the organizers to raise funds. It can stop Give, Send, Go. It can stop GoFundMe and any other platform of dispersing this money to those organizers. The government would take control of it. So they want this money. They want $450,000 because they do, and they will be called to this inquiry, to this commission, you know, to testify for whatever reasons they want to testify or whatever they're going to say. I don't know. I mean, these are, you know, far right radicals who are anti-government And we have to have an inquiry after the the Federal Emergency Act was enacted. It's in the law. They have to have this inquiry. Right? Now, so part, part I mean, so part of this, um, um, emergency act um, is regulating and prohibiting public assemblies, including blockades. So what do you think these protesters were doing? If you see you, if, no matter where you were in the world, I'm sure you, you, you saw it on national TV. I'm sure you saw it from somewhere around the world. What were they using as blockades? Transport trucks and other vehicles and people. Right. And also it gave the government to securing places where blockades are to be prohibited like the borders. The borders between, well, obviously between Canada and the United States. They tried to block the borders. So once that emergency act was enacted and those smaller blockades were removed, from the borders, they could not reassemble and try to block them again under the Federal Emergency Act.
there are other, um, like I said, um, other, uh, other avenues that these, um, organizers, um, could have taken to, to receive funds and they just simply don't want to channel that avenue. And they think they have the rights. Somehow they think they have the rights to this money that is frozen. And it's frozen for a reason. Because they have a $300 million class action against them. And if, this, and, if the, and if the citizens and the business owners that were affected by that occupation, if they win that $300 million class action lawsuit, well, there's $5 million sitting there. So they, they would be awarded that money. You know, I mean, they're just trying to, you know, get leverage. They're trying to, oh, we're just going to go after this money in, that's in escrow and, and, we'll, and we'll deplete it by $450,000. No, I don't think so. The protest was about, it, because, you know, the, fe- the federal government, um, what happened, part of what happened was the federal government mandated that all uh, federal regulated industries, including the truck industries, that you have to be vaccinated. And at that time, the United States said anybody entering the United States have to be vaccinated. And not just about the vaccinations, is about the mandates. Provincially and federally, when it came to um, stay-at-home orders, closing schools, closing non-essential businesses, stay-at-home orders throughout the pandemic. Right? And at the time... The province of Ontario, which where I reside in, had already in place a timeline when things, when mandates would be lifted. It was the large, the largest mass gathering of any protest probably in the history of Canada. But it did; those other protests did not result in an occupation. The other protests around Canada throughout throughout the history, you know, didn't have blockades as large as they did in this protest. Right? The protest became a unlawful occupation. 
see a protest, ladies and gentlemen, is something that you gather for a day. You go protest whatever you're going to protest about. Holding up your sirens, marching around in circles, do what you do, and then you disperse and you go home. These organizers made it very clear that they were going to be there for as long as it takes for the government, provincial and federal, to lift these mandates. They thought they were going to occupy. And they thought that they were going to get away with it. It is illegal to block roadways. It is illegal to block infrastructure. It is illegal to impede, harass, prevent others from using public space and assault. It is illegal to disturb the peace. And all of the above what I just said, that's exactly what these protesters did. Now, Whether they get this money or not, I mean, the, you know, these organizers just filed this in court yesterday. It'll be the end of next week by the time they even get an answer back from the courts. The, uh, the hearings don't begin until October. So they have plenty of time to, to argue in the courts of why they need this money that is it that is frozen by the courts that is in escrow that was taken from them when the emergency act was enacted and the courts are holding that money because like I said there's a $300, $300 million class action lawsuit against these organizers. Now, Like I said, you know, this group, these organizers, like I said, they did not apply for available funding. Right? There's available funding, you know, they could have applied for the funding um, for support, but they did not.
you know, the, the group thought the money would be, would be coming from from the Justice Center of Constitution and Freedoms, but they, they they said, you know, they don't have that. They don't have those funds, right? So they can't get any money from that. So they want to go after the money that was taken from them. No, I don't think so. And like I said, they don't need to be there for the entire 39 days. Right? I mean, if you have to go to court somewhere, you know, say you had to go because you did, you know, you did a, a crime in another state. And you have to go to court. You're going to go to the other state for 39 days and wait for your court date? No. There's no need for these individuals to go to this commission for 39 days. You might not be called to testify for 20 days, maybe 30 days. You don't need to be there until it's time for you to testify. These individuals, these these people who organize, these organizers, they are facing criminal charges. When they go to trial for what they're being charged with, this commission is not their trial. This is a commission that, you know, an inquiry that has to take place by law after the Federal Emergency Act was invoked. So We'll just have to wait to see what happens. Like I said, we're not going to get any answers for at least a week. I don't know, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, people just think they can just break the law. People think that they can just get away with it. And then when something like this happens, you know, you know, the cause of the Federal Emergency Act, you know, they're the ones who caused it. 
They're the ones with being lawless. At any given time throughout that 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 uh, occupation in January and February, at any given time from Monday to Friday, there's about 1,200 people barricading the downtown Ottawa. On the weekends, it would jump over to 5,000 people or more. And the lawlessness and the lawlessness that went on. People said, oh, well, you know, you invoke the, the emergency act, you know, but, you know, the police in, in Windsor at the ambassador bridge that separates Canada and the United States, well, they were able to to disperse that protest without the emergency act. Yeah, there was like 50 people. Not 1,200 people in vehicles, transport trucks. Even even the transport trucks that were, were part of the blockade they were made inoperable. Fifty people compared to twelve hundred people. Yeah, the police can can just dis, disperse a cloud a crowd of fifty people, no problem. They don't need the Federal Emergency Act to do that. So from all across Canada and every police agency, short of the military, because the government wasn't going to call in the military because using all the police forces across the country, they would have enough manpower to clear out that occupation. and every tool at their disposal to remove them. You want to be a part of something that you caused? You want to go to this, to this, uh, to this hearing? You want to go to this commission? You want to go to this inquiry? Pay it out, pay it out of your own pocket. You know, I hope the people in the businesses that were affected by these far-right radicals, I hope the businesses and people of Ottawa who are affected by this, I hope they win that $300 million class, class action lawsuit. I really do. 
is going to send a clear message to the far-right movement. And these organizers of this Karen Carnival, they'll be paying that for the rest of their lives. And I won't feel one bit sorry for them. So I want to thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for coming out here. And as things, you know, throughout the week, you know, I'm sure, you know, as we get closer to the end of next week, you know, I'm sure we're going to get some answers, you know, whether um, the court is going to release this $450,000 that, you know, these organizers want so they can participate in the public inquiry or they pay for it out of their own pocket. I have to wait. You know, the courts have other issues to deal with. You know, this is not on top of their agenda. So thank you for joining me. And uh, I'll be back out tomorrow night again at 9 p.m. If you want to come out and join me. Um, I want to look at... Uh, what was it here that I have up here? in my folders here. Um, homelessness is a crisis, not just here in Ontario, but all across Canada. And um, I want to talk a little bit uh, about that, um, about the myths and questions about homelessness and causes of homelessness. So if you want to join me tomorrow night at 9 p.m., we'll take a look at that. And then again, um, probably Monday morning because uh, Monday morning or Monday is Labor Day. It's a statutory holiday, not only here in Canada, but in the United States as well in other parts of the world you know uh, uh, about the, the uh, um, labor movement so i'll be able to do a show um monday morning as well and that so if you'd like to join me for that that's great if you can i understand if you don't want to i understand that's okay but i appreciate you you know, coming out here. If it's your first time or second time or you've been out here before, maybe it's been a while since you've been out here. 
I know through the month of August, I haven't been out here that much. I mean, the first two weeks of August, I was on holidays. I take holidays once a year. And that's the beginning of August, and I take it for two weeks. You know, and then, I do, uh, you know, to do a show throughout the week, you know, um, in, in the evenings, that all depends on when I'm done work. You know, I work 12, sometimes 14-hour days, and I just want to come home and unwind and relax, you know, so that's why, you know, it's mostly weekends when I do a show. And I, and I think that, um, you know, the evenings are better for me because the mornings, you know, I've got stuff to do, you know, through the morning in, in, into the afternoon on the weekends because I work all week. So I think the evenings on the weekends are, are, are better choice. Um, Saturday and, and, and Sunday evenings. And only Monday, this Monday, that I'm going to be doing a morning show. Because it's a, a statutory holiday. Otherwise, I'd be working. So just give you a little rundown you know, about, you know, how, when I'm going to be out here. So, but thank you, you know, for coming on the show and listening and staying for the whole duration. And yes, I do want to talk about, um, the, uh, the myths and questions about homelessness and causes of homelessness. And we'll talk about that tomorrow night at 9 p.m. So then, until then, ladies and gentlemen, thank you uh, for joining me. I'm your host, Doug, from Ontario, Canada. This is the Truckers Podcast, FYI. Thank you.